and welcome to the Moneyball Benefits Podcast. My name is Scott Wham, and I'm your host. I serve as the Director of Compliance and Innovation for One Digital's Philadelphia office. I work predominantly in the Mid-Atlantic, and I'm really excited for today's podcast. Here on the Moneyball Benefits Podcast, we try to give employers insight into how to be as efficient as possible when making investments into their human capital management strategies. And over the past few episodes, we've really focused on health benefits. Uh, We've talked about different types of funding mechanisms uh, between fully insured plans and self-insured plans. We've talked about uh, specific funding strategies within self-funded plans. But one topic that definitely deserves its own podcast is prescription drugs and how employers can navigate rising prescription drug costs, uh, navigating prescription drug pricing, and how they can offer a superior benefit to their employees to try to uh, make that uh, retention case strong between the employer and the employee. And I'm very happy today to be joined by Richard Lowe, uh, who is an expert in, in prescription drug pricing and prescription drug cost management. And there's nobody better to play Moneyball with than Richard. Richard, why don't you take a second and just introduce yourself, what you do here and how you got in the industry, and then we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Hi, Scott. Thank, thank you again for the invite to join your Moneyball podcast. Um, really just uh, honored that you asked me and on a very exciting topic for myself. Again, I'm a pharmacist. Uh, prior to joining One Digital on their pharmacy consulting team, I spent over 10 years as a retail pharmacist in the community space. <clears throat> Um, What we do here is I manage our clinical team for anything pharmacy benefits consulting. We serve self-insured employers and really help them understand the landscape, manage their spends proactively, and really drive sustainable outcomes and help them be the most informed client. So, Richard, when we when we work with our self-funded customers and we we sit down to talk to them about their health plan spend. Prescription drugs are always at the top of the list. And one of the abbreviations we throw around uh, loosely that, that probably needs some, some defining is, is PBM. What is a PBM and why do employers need to know what a PBM is? Great question. I'm always surprised, even though it shouldn't be a surprise to me, why so many people ask what a PBM is. I'm surprised because it essentially touches indirectly in a way every part of the prescription ecosystem. So PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefit Manager. And if we make it back into simple terms, we notice that we have a drug cost crisis on our hands. You never see drug costs going down. You always see them always with the inflation story. And there's got to be sort of a player to manage those rising costs. So a pharmacy benefit manager serves simply as a middleman to negotiate those prices with pharma, with those manufacturers. And in doing that, they're able to drive down costs back to the plan sponsor and in turn, hopefully contains costs for employees and then essentially make sure that's on the financial side. But then they also serve the clinical side, which is to ensure patient safety making sure other parts of the ecosystem, such as providers, pharmacies, that they're all gathering and aggregating data correctly and interpreting it in the most efficient manner. So again, driving down costs, ensuring patient safety, that's the primary function of a PBM. 
So even with PBMs being in the game with the uh, with the aim and ambition to help control prescription drug costs, why are costs continuing to rise at the rate that we're seeing them? You know, I was working with an employer a few weeks ago uh, that sponsors a self-funded health plan where their prescription drug spend is is nearly 50% of their total health plan spend. And, and looking at the data, we, we project it might actually eclipse the major medical spend in the next 12 months. Um, if the PBMs are there to, to manage costs, what are some of the variables that are leading to these extravagant prescription drug costs? Well, if they're here to manage costs, unfortunately, there is a trust component of it. So they're they have a lot of proprietary contracts with these manufacturers, just proprietary contracts with the end user in general. And in having that, how the United States healthcare system is set up, unfortunately, there's a lot of misaligned uh, gross incentives that are associated. For example, the PBMs have become under, under some heat lately. Uh, for instance, when we talk about reducing costs, well, what does that look like? What does the price concession look like? For example, Scott, you have discounts and you have rebates. And those are, they're addressed in a contract, but at the other side of it, you really don't know what, what your true savings is because it has to go through this Willy Wonka black box of confusion and then get spit back out uh, to the consumer. All those pieces, what happens in that black box? And what we typically see is, Pharmacy benefit managers, they, they again, negotiate with manufacturers. So they potentially could be incentivized to promote specific products. Uh, think of it as if you go to the grocery store and or going to a retailer and you see an end cap. Who gets the shelf space? Well, it comes through those negotiations to determine which drugs get the shelf space. And you'll be interested to find that the higher the cost, generally would drive a more aggressive rebate. That rebate is savings, but also is part of revenue for a PBM. Therefore, you kind of buy more to save more, but you're still buying more. And that really incentivizes driving up the cost of the medications. So if I'm understanding correctly, the PBM, um, it, it, it's it's not necessarily just the the raw cost of a given drug, it's the incentives to drive volume, it's the incentives for product placement that can lead to inefficiencies if you're not partnered with, with the correct PBM. That's correct. With drug pricing, there's no other similar pricing model. Like we can't take gas prices as a, as a comparison. Truly, every drug price is like throwing a shot in the dark. It's just wherever it lands on the dartboard, Boom, there's not a comparison to it. And with the patent protection, you essentially can charge whatever you would like to increase the cost, but then throw on a fat rebate check to incentivize using those medications. And that really has contributed to a double digit increase year over year uh, for prescription drug costs. So thinking about the rising drug costs, you just raised uh, a, an, interesting, an interesting point there. You mentioned patent protection. Um, why are patent protections a culprit in expensive drugs or rising drug costs, should I say? So there's a huge difference between what we would call brand name medications that are still 
under patent versus generics, or lately in the news, you may have heard of the term biosimilar. Uh, generics and biosimilars represent competition. When you have competition, now you have a competitive marketplace and it inherently drives down costs. You'll see that all day, every day, whenever you go to pick up a generic prescription, typically a few bucks here or there. Um, but for these, let's say, brand name medications, they are hundreds uh, of dollars just at the starting point. So if you are a manufacturer, you definitely to, you know, it does cost a lot. I, I will give them that for the research and design, a lot of those, those costs to get something to market. But in terms of the patent protection, there are, there are some shell games in terms of extending that protection. Uh, for example, Humira, you, you've, everyone's familiar with that medication. That one has so many different um, indications for it. Uh, I think over 20, and it really just extends their protection from one year to another 10 years. And then finally, what we're seeing on the horizon for that medication is finally some competition entering the marketplace. So um, we are hopeful that we'll see some price uh, elasticity there. So that patent protection gives market exclusivity to a drug for a period of time to where there there really isn't a free market for that drug. It really is that that manufacturer is setting the price and so be it. Exactly right. And you will see some insane uh, inflationary costs associated with it, with it for the same exact product. So, so where does, where does the government come in to all of this? I mean, it, it, a few weeks ago I was, I was reading the news and I, I saw that there were some pretty explosive hearings involving PBMs on Capitol Hill but what's the what's the hope for some type of legislative action that that could potentially deliver savings to employer sponsored plans? I mean, I, I anytime I look at uh, uh, the the information that's pub that's made publicly available regarding campaign contributions, I always see PHRMA at the top of the list, um, which as somebody who who swims in that soup quite a bit makes me somewhat skeptical. But I'm interested in your take. I mean, is there anything that you see coming down the coming down the pipe that might uh, make you excited, or or are you pessimistic like I am? <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm uh, is is one way of phrasing it. I would like to say I would be optimistic and hopeful. However, I think we are really deep in terms of of the current model. So to answer your question in terms of the legislation. We saw with a couple of different um, regulations and guidelines required by uh, different plans, such as the Consolidated Appropriations Act, to designed to bring more transparency to the industry. So while I think that's a good starting point, again, a lot of these contracts are proprietary. Um, there's there's ways to, I would assume, to manipulate uh, some of the reporting as well. And I, I think it's a huge uphill battle for D.C. to really tackle. But we have seen it start in terms of local state legislation, at least starting with restructuring some of the contracts that these PBMs have and the agreements and, and really opening it up to, again, a more competitive fair marketplace. But as far as overall to address drug costs and some of these hidden games, uh, I really think it's still an uphill battle. Like just to what you said, I think the most in terms of percentage for lobbyists come from pharma. So it, I think it starts there as well. Like who is really um, fighting that battle? So 
if I'm working with an employer out in the market, Richard, would you agree that I'm not telling them to count on Congress to solve this problem? They need to be smart themselves. Yes. Right now, you you, you can't count on it. Um, We've actually seen where uh, just locally, I'm I'm located here in Georgia. So in the southeast, Georgia, Tennessee and Florida just recently passed some legislation. And it really is designed to bring um, more transparency to these contracts. But you will see very quickly a lot of the larger carriers put out statements and projections showing, again, double digit increases due to the legislation. So that's kind of counterintuitive, right? Where you would think something would help lower costs. They're actually saying the inverse and it showing up higher costs and a detriment to addressing the problem. So where where are plan sponsors and employers likely to make the biggest mistakes in prescription drug cost management? Is it when they buy bundled PBM services off the shelf from a from a T from a given TPA is are there certain markers that employers should be paying attention to where they're most likely to be managing prescription drug costs in an inefficient manner? That's a great loaded question, Scott. I'll I'll attempt to answer it the most simplified way as possible. I think first it needs to start with what are just the root of it. What are your employees telling you? You want to have a really good benefit offering, but if drug costs are an issue and access to treatment is an issue, that's a that's a great starting point. Just in terms of there's a concern here with affordability and accessibility, and essentially that's going to really create a a barrier for for the war on talent. Um, the next piece is what we find in our industry is a lack of data. Uh, data drives decision making. So if you don't know what you don't know, then you are forced into that uh, black box of confusion. And there's really no sort of plan or strategy to address uh, the problems. Also, um, another thing I would encourage in terms of evaluation would be the contract. A, are you even aware of the contract? Who negotiated it on your behalf? Are they looking at it on a regular basis? Is it even out of date? There are so many, um, I guess, not client-friendly provisions in a PBM contract that are confusing and could easily be not in your best interest. And also, you know, as far as looking at trends, those sorts of management, one drug, it's the most pharmacy benefits is the most access benefit for all employer groups. And just as quickly as a new drug comes out, that's as quickly that the risk comes up to you in terms of hitting a new high cost claim. So making sure you have proactive protection and to your point in terms of these bundles and sort of off the shelf contracts. It's really having the evaluation of flexibility. Can Am I mitigating risk on all fronts or is it just financial? Because that there is a limitation, right? Just looking at financial, when we start looking at different treatments, people need these treatments and they're going to have different costs with it. So, so Richard, I, I think I speak for many, many, many consultants at One Digital in saying that every time I work with, with your team, and introduce you to a client or to a prospect, I walk out of that meeting with my mind blown with just how many inefficiencies you encounter 
in prescription drug benefit management and how many opportunities there are to deliver efficiencies to a group health plan, whether it's an employer that's already self-funded or an employer that is fully insured and and taking a look at self-funding or making that transition into a self-funded plan. Uh, working with your team is something that we always recommend, but would you mind just giving the listeners a little bit of insight into, hey, we bring you to the table, you, you come to the room, what are what are some of the, the issues you're going to be looking for? And then what are some of the solutions that you might be suggesting? How we would start is definitely diagnosing the problem, but it's very prescriptive. I mean, it, it sounds sort of corny coming from a pharmacist, but that's really what we want to do. We want to diagnose the the issue first. If there is one, you may be running well, but um, for pharmacy benefits, understanding comparatively some some benchmarking, it, it's it's a big issue. It used to be a footnote. Now it's 25, 30% of total healthcare expenditure. So we want to see where you are performing relative to the rest of the industry first. Also, what we look for is you can tell a lot by which vendor or which partner a group is currently with, you know, is it a bundle? Is it carved in and versus carved out? And we can talk about those intricacies later, but you can really tell in, in terms of, are they in the best position for long-term success? Next, we will look at, if we can, some sort of access to, to reporting. And that's what we would encourage every group to at least have some underlying base baseline understanding of what medications they're paying for. Even if you're fully insured, you don't have access to data. Are there any top drugs? And typically those help our team identify top cost drivers and sort of intervention solutions that we could explore for financial savings, but also understand the clinical side as well in terms of member experience. Does it make sense? Do we have the most cost-effective and clinically effective medication out there? So it's truly to enhance the program altogether. It's not always about change per se. It could easily just be a cleanup. What does carve in versus carve out mean? What, what's Why are those important terms to understand? And, and, and why can those terms be predictive of the, the type of issue you might encounter when walking into an employer? The many only know what they're presented presented with. There's advantages and disadvantages of both. Our job as consultants are to come in there unbiased, yet opinionated, to give the best advice. So for CARP in, if you're listening today, it means you're in a bundled arrangement. Everything's together. You just have literally one document to sign. And there's exchanges of different files. It's all bundled together. Now, CARP out would mean now you've carved out certain components of your benefits. For the purpose of this conversation, you would carve out your pharmacy benefits uh, to a different vendor, still having that same integration with the medical carrier uh, in terms of eligibility accumulators, but you would have separate contracts. And sometimes that gets a bad rap because there could be a concern of disruption. Uh, it's not all bundled together. Um, is there going to be a delay? I think there's some natural concerns when you have separate vendors. However, back to the carbon, and I'm going to just tie the possible disadvantage, is when you have everything tied together, 
you really have the right hand talking to the left hand. So we're all about accountability and not, um, you know, not having that, that line of sight in terms of reporting. There's a lot that can go in when it's still all bundled together. And therefore it's just, it's just a little more difficult to hold your vendors accountable. One, one term when we were preparing for this call that you, you brought to my attention is non-essential drug waste and how that can potentially negatively impact the efficiency of plant operation. You mind, you mind talking a little bit about non-essential drug waste and, and what, what that means to you and the types of situations you tend to encounter it in? Absolutely. So drugs cannot be viewed as a simple commodity. It's not like milk and bread. I think we understand that. But also, there's a bunch of different medications out there. Um, so what we do is we look at drugs that are either essential or non-essential. And in terms of just simplifying it for you, Scott, there's dumb drugs out there. Let me give you an example. For instance, you go into uh, your local drugstore and you buy a antacid pill, uh, Pepsid AC, and you mix that with Advil or ibuprofen. Put those two together. How much do you think that costs you when you walk out the store? Oh, 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Easy, right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> you let's say you go to the doctor's office and let's say you have just some, some inflammation and they write a prescription for you for a medication called Duexis. And they also hand you a coupon card. So your total cost, you would agree, is probably nothing or $5. You agree with that? I, I'm going to take your word for it, Richard. You're the pharmacist, but yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> well, the coupon says it, right? So we don't want any false advertising. Okay, well, yeah. coupon, coupon says $5. Okay, great. So, great. So you saved 15 bucks there. The problem is when we call what's, what's in terms of non-essential or, or simply waste is who is paying for that? And that either would be your employer, it's going to be your employer, whether whatever funding arrangement they're in, that costs that medication. Scott, take a, take a wild guess how much you think for one month of that medication would be all in. Oh, I mean, I'm even afraid to, I'm even Just afraid to guess. I, I, I'm going to say it's going to be $200. 200 All right. So add, add at least a zero on there. So that medication, easy, $2,500. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for one month for that simple combination. But that oh, goes that is, back to it's absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> and and you would ask the question why? And that goes back to the to the top of our conversation with misaligned incentives. And why does this even on the shelf in the first place? Again, there is a huge rebate tied to it. And the em employer is, is truly blinded to that and PBMs sort of operate on the consumer level because the consumer is on the left on the outside. They don't know any better. Uh, the patient doesn't. They just listen to their doctor. The doctor's not trained in terms of the cost as well. They don't have any skin in the game there. Unfortunately, it is on the backs of the employers. Now, when you go into work with an employer, is is that the type of is that the type of drug you'd be scouring data for trying to identify within the formulary as, as uh, potentially driving waste within a plan? Absolutely. So we have a master drug list. We call our program RX Defender. 
And that's part of one part of our clinical analytics programs that identifies these medications for savings opportunities. Again, not to disrupt the member in terms of just saving a buck, but getting them off on another medication. But it, it really is trying to find that clinically, as clinically effective alternative, educating them and creating that behavior change to um, that more cost-effective drug to provide long-term value. So once you work with an employer and you do all the back-end due diligence and you get the plan in the place where you want it to be from a formulary perspective, from a coverage perspective, now it's time to get the, the member engaged and moving down the right path. Can you talk a little bit about discount cards and mail order programs and how those come into play in helping employers efficiently manage their prescription drug costs? So discount cards and, and mail order programs, they are a hot topic definitely in our industry. Most are familiar with good, good RX in the discount card world and mail order programs. If you haven't, I promise you will hear about like the Amazons and the Mark Cuban cost plus programs that are available out there. So there's good and some things you need to know. The good is the piece where there are potentially cost savings. Now, I say that with a little bit of caution because where do the cost savings come from? Typically, they come from generic medications. They're not really going to affect the brand names too much. Uh, and then also, as an employer, you would question, well, what am I paying for in terms of pharmacy benefits? If I can just use these programs and there's really no cost to them. So what you would need to truly evaluate is what is the cost effectiveness there? What is that impact to the member in terms of having to change pharmacies? Um, also, you're going outside of the pharmacy benefit now. So when we talked about the PBMs doing this whole data collection, ensuring patient safety, now you're truly going on one-offs and you sacrifice the ability to run uh, what's called like a drug utilization review. So checking for drug interactions. Also, they're not going to get counted back towards the, um, to their benefit and their overall uh, deductible and max out of pocket requirements. So those are the few things that you sacrifice. Again, you may save a little bit on the front end, but the safety checks is important. Uh, also, lack of visibility um, in terms of reporting is important as well. And are they truly effective? When I talk about generics, sometimes, actually more often than not, a lot of these pharmacy benefit managers, they're able to negotiate and have better pricing than these discount card and mail order programs. So it's uh, definitely not a one size fits all. It, it's very niche at this point, but I love the fact that they are challenging the status quo. It's just not at the level that we would like to see it integrated fully for a uh, pharmacy benefit program. So it's it's something that's in the conversation, but it certainly is not the be all end all of a comprehensive strategy. Is that a fair summation? It's not. It's not the fix. It is. It's another tool for members to and patients to use, but it's not the fix to address the prescription drug crisis, cost crisis. And last but not least, I know a, a lot of employees at, at, at One Digital have been reading the news, and, and our clients are seeing the news. Is this idea of international sourcing? What is international sourcing and and what's the viability of international sourcing and where do you see it going? 
International sourcing, it is just how it sounds. It's drug procurement from foreign countries. Uh, typically, these uh, the sourcing countries are tier one. So uh, they're from Canada, Australia, and the UK, and they're on brand name medications. And we'll see that we spend over $300 per person in the United States in the next highest country. So inherently, their drug costs are lower. So let's see if we can tap into their supply chain for lower costs. Supply chain, big piece where it is controversial. And the FDA, they haven't truly been the biggest fans of it because there, there could be some integrity concerns with procuring medications overseas. Now, if you look beyond that piece, there are the savings. There is the savings component on these brand name medications. Um, the incentive for members to tap into these programs is, is it does offer a zero dollar cost to them. Again, we are tapping outside of the benefits. So patient safety could be a concern. And also, is there truly savings? Because again, on the brand name medications, you are receiving a rebate going through the domestic benefits, but internationally, you're sourcing everything outside, that rebate goes away. So what's the true net savings? Does it make sense? For us, we, we really want to educate our clients on all the different factors. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, it, again, it's a voluntary program. So whatever savings are promised, you're not going to hit them. It's going to be much lower because it is voluntary. But it does provide another avenue, especially if it is brand name medications. Uh, and there are certain vendors. There's a lot of different vendors out there. But there are vendors that we would feel more comfortable placing a client with and, uh, you know, letting them use use their their tools in terms of their due diligence, where they're sourcing the medications, and they can feel a little bit more comfortable at night knowing that their members are getting a quality product. Well, it's, it's interesting in the lobbying work that I do on behalf of our clients and, and one digital, I come across that same old point that we've heard the, the pharma industry make all the time, which is if, if we give any type of legislative tools to control costs, regarding prescription drug pricing, whether it's in Medicare or the private market or in Medicaid, it's going to kill research and development. And, and my frustration with that is, you know, you look at a lot of pharmaceutical companies, they're international companies. They're the definition of international companies. You know, they have operations all over the place and R&D is occurring all over the place. But when you look at the pricing disparities between the U.S. and Canada, uh, the U.S. And, and certain countries within Europe, um, it's hard to not walk away with the idea that are we subsidizing R&D for the world, right? Are, are we the ones who are really subsidizing R&D or is this just a, a, a talking point that sounds compelling, but really doesn't hold any water? I guess time will tell, but I want to leave our, our listeners with, 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 with this thought. If you have questions about prescription drug costs, PBMs, all of the stuff that Richard talked about today, all you need to do is let your one digital consultant know or your, or your contact at one digital know, or if you're just listening to this and you're not working with one digital, you should be. But if you're not, uh, reach out to us. We're happy to have a conversation with you, put you in contact with Richard and his team. 
And uh, I promise your hair will be blown back when when you see the types of insights that Richard will deliver after having the chance to scour the data. Um, Richard, do me a favor. Promise me you'll come back and talk to us again. Absolutely, if you'll have me. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I, I hope our listeners enjoyed this. And this has been another episode of the Moneyball Benefits Podcast. 